Welcome to True Paranormal, the podcast with your host, Leo Rizzuti. Every week we will explore such topics as ghosts, demons, poltergeist, haunted history, time shifts, cryptozoology, and other aspects of the paranormal through listener-submitted accounts, documentary studies, and interviews with the investigators that dedicate their lives to searching for proof of the unknown. So get a fresh cup of coffee, dim the lights, relax, and get ready for a short visit to the realm of the true paranormal. Hi guys, Leo Rizzuti here. Welcome to another episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. Uh, It is New Year's Eve while I'm recording. It's probably at least New Year's Day when you're hearing this, so Happy New Year to you guys. Hope that you all had a great time celebrating the New Year's and that you all got home safe and sound. That's the most important part. It's great to have a fun time, but it's even better to get home safe and be able to actually do something in the New Year uh, besides just uh, heal up. While we're on the subject of healing, I would like to give a shout out to my buddy Les. Les is, he's not only a listener to the podcast, but he's also a very old friend of mine. He's an old high school buddy, and he had, um, Les had some spinal surgery. He had the spinal straighten uh, quite a while back, and he's been having some issues with that, as you would expect. It's not exactly minor surgery, but apparently they use all these pins and rods and things like that in there to keep the spine straight and he had some issues with some of that stuff uh, coming unattached so they were looking at that the last couple of days at the hospital and did some tests and sure enough it was coming unattached so they were going to go ahead and get in there and reattach it which is awesome except for when they went to move less it came unattached again so oops on their part and uh let's try this over again why don't we so Les, if you're out there buddy we hope that you're feeling great and that you're recovering uh anybody that has known less for i'd say more than about an hour knows that he just instinctively that he has a screw loose and now it's been medically verified Les, you have a screw loose so anyway hope that you're doing good out there buddy and that you are recovering and keeping a smile on your face Uh, For you guys, um, the New Year's, uh, for a lot of folks, mean resolutions, things like that, which is awesome. Uh, For me personally, what the New Year's means is that for the next two to three weeks, I'm going to be putting the wrong date on every single piece of paper that anybody puts in front of me. So I have that to look forward to, which is nice. I would be remiss if I didn't... uh, Give a big thank you to you guys out in the audience. We have uh, officially passed 5,000 listeners, which is great. And that's all you guys. This whole show revolves around you guys. It's not, I'm not the star of the show. You guys are. We talk about your guys' stories. We talk about your guys' experiences. Without you guys in the audience, we wouldn't exist. There would be no point. I could sit here and talk to myself all day long, but... For you guys, this uh, it's an incredible thing that you guys trust us enough that you share your stories with us and that you um, you have a good time listening to them too. So we apparently have listeners uh, in Canada now and in England, Scotland, Ireland. Uh, apparently we have a couple people listening in India, which is neat. And um, we have a lot of people listening in Australia, which is really, really, really cool. So Basically, anywhere that folks speak English, no matter what kind of funny accent they have, they are listening to the show, which is 
amazing to me, and I would like to uh, let you guys know just how much I do appreciate that, and big thank you to you guys for that. With that being said, let's go ahead and jump right into the meat of the show. We have some stories that you guys have sent us, and they are awesome. Uh, We have three really, really, really cool stories, so we're going to go ahead and get right into that now. Our first story tonight comes from Kim, and she has entitled it, The Hooded Man. Okay, Kim, let's see what you sent us. My friend and I love to go on long walks to be outside, and we also love to try to communicate with spirits. So when we saw the opportunity to do both, we jumped on it. It was a place that we went to rather frequently when we were in high school. We always felt this odd pull to this place and always talked about going back to it just to see if the feeling was still there. When we heard some other people were having some odd occurrences at the site, it was our final little push out the door. We got in my car, threw a few things in it for our trip, you know, a camera, a recorder, some flashlights, and drove across town to the location called the First Bride's Grave. As soon as we parked the car, we immediately felt that pull. Because we got there so early, we walked through the area just like old times, even climbed on one of the trees that seemed to call out to us. We did this for hours. My friend got tired, so she lay down on the ground. I was still too energized to accompany her, so I climbed one of the hills and started to take some pictures. For some reason, I glanced back and I saw a male person standing back in the trees. He was wearing all black and had the hood of his sweater pulled up so I couldn't see his face, but somehow I knew he was about our age. I looked back down at Anya and then over to where I'd seen the guy, and he was gone. I kind of shrugged it off and carefully climbed back down the hill to where my friend still lay. I didn't tell her about the guy I had seen. I just figured maybe I hadn't seen correctly. Soon our play area was becoming dark, so we took out our flashlights and left the recorder turned on, laying on the picnic table, before once again roaming around. I distinctly remember the feeling of being watched, which is kind of normal out there, but it wasn't the same person. This was apparently by someone else. No matter where we walked, we could hear twigs snap up in the trees next to us. Coming back down a little slope, our feet slipped on the loose dirt, making us laugh and causing some of the tension to dissipate. From there, we grabbed the recorder and headed up the steep hill towards the actual grave. For those of you who have never been there, it's a pain in the butt to get to the top. The hill is very steep, and it's quite some time before you actually get there. Finally making it to the top, we turned right down the path, feeling a slight presence. We stayed for some time, and asked questions and just kind of talked to each other in general, but nothing seemed to happen. We decided to call it a night and headed back down the hill. Now, as I've mentioned before, this was not our first time to the first bride's grave, and it was not the first time that we had climbed that steep slope at night, but somehow we got lost. Confusion set in pretty quickly as we glanced around at our surroundings, though this is on the hillside swarmed with trees, we could tell we had been turned around. We had gone down the same path we had come up on, the same ones we always took whenever we went there, yet we were in the middle of the woods and our sense of direction was spiraling out of control. Now we're not ones to be deterred simply because we had gotten lost in some way or another, but for some reason we became nervous, even slightly intimidated. I couldn't for the life of me understand why we would feel intimidated because we were lost. We always found our way out of situations like this before with no problem, 
But then I saw them. People peeking out from behind trees, watching us. Anya and I glanced at each other with the same question in mind. Do you see them? With a frightened nod, we looked back around, knowing they were still there, but no longer able to see them. They had hidden themselves in the darkness. What should have been a short walk back to the open field below took an hour, an agonizingly long hour, of being watched. No matter how far we went, they were there, peeking around the trees before slipping back into the darkness. A couple of times we could feel them right behind us, feel them practically pressing into our backs. We never once looked back, just pretending nothing was happening. Once we finally reached those crumpled old stairs down to the opening, a slight smile graced our lips till we felt arms around our legs. It wasn't malicious. It was almost calming. Now these weren't the same as the spirits that were still in the trees watching us. These were children. We slowly pulled ourselves away, not looking back until we were safely in my car. With a sigh, we went back to my house and sat on my bed, covered in a blanket, and began to talk about our experience. At around 2.30 in the morning, Anya left to head home. Not even five minutes after she left, she called me. She explained to me that once she was off my dirt road and back on the main road, she had to slam on her brakes because somebody had run out in front of her. She explained in detail what the guy had looked like. She said, A guy about our age, wearing all black his hood up to keep anyone from seeing his face. Apparently he was running towards the cemetery, which isn't even a block from my house. I was shocked. I had to recall whether or not I had told her about the man I had seen at the grave, but I already knew that I didn't. That night we did some research on the first bride's grave, hoping to understand why there was a man in black showing himself, but there was nothing. The only thing that we found was that we weren't the only ones to suddenly get lost while trying to leave. We haven't seen the hooded man since. Holy smokes, Kim, that was an incredible story. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was really, really creepy, if nothing else. Um, I think it's amazing that you had uh, a pull towards this one location that, you know, it was strong enough that even after so many years that you still felt compelled to go out there and that the feelings that you had originally were significant enough that you could say, well, this is the same exact feeling, even though obviously it had been quite a while since you had felt it. Um, don't know any kind of explanation. I've never heard anything like groups of people eyeballing folks or watching folks. Um, never heard of a haunting like that. That was kind of unique. So that's kind of weird. Don't know if that was maybe spiritual or if that was uh, people watching you or what they could be. It could be anything out in the dark. And to be honest, it might be a little scarier if it was living, breathing people as opposed to spirits. So <laughs> glad you got out of there safely and that you shared your experience with us. Thank you very much for that. Our next story comes from a gentleman named David, and he has sent it to us, titled it Haunted Theater. Okay, David, let's give a go, see what you sent us. Up until a few months ago, I worked at a small movie theater for about four years. I spent three of those as a regular employee and the last in a management position. Specifically, it was a three-screen in a very small community in Maryland. Sadly, the company that owned us shut us down just after the summer. 
I was very familiar with this theater as I'd gone to see movies there for my entire life. And my first manager was a longtime family friend. Yeah, that's actually how I got the job. She saved me from a miserable life as a Subway sandwich artist. Let me stop you right there, David, just for a moment. And let me agree with you that that would be a miserable existence. The uh, Subway Sandwich Company has a lot of great employees, and some of them are friends of mine, but not that impressed with the product itself. I'm I'm more of a uh, of a Jersey Mike's subs guy, and no, they don't pay me to say that, although they could if they wanted to. So, um, yes, I can agree with you. That would be a miserable existence, and yay, you went to work for the theater instead. So <laughs> let's get back to your story. The building itself was erected in the early 70s and was the crown jewel until a mall theater was installed and the decline was noticeable. For years we kept the original seating, the original curtains, and even the original paint. Everything that you could imagine. There was even ashtrays installed in the tiling in the men's room. The popcorn popper wasn't the same, but it was a hand-me-down from another theater that was just as old. I lovingly called her the Dragon Lady because she was the bane of my existence until I learned to finesse her. I still have scars from getting burned by her. She was kind of slow to befriend, if you know what I mean. Basically, the theater was unpolished, outdated, but had plenty of character. It was the best job I've ever had and probably will ever have. All the employees, both past and present, loved it. We didn't have to do things perfectly. We enjoyed our customers and developed relationships with our regulars, which meant free popcorn and movies, if we liked you enough. My first experiences in the theater was whenever I was a kid. I can remember always feeling like someone was in the bathroom, watching curiously. It could be unnerving, but it was never ever threatening. It seemed like a lady, and I like to think that she respected my privacy. Flash forward to when I had just begun working. At the end of the night, the employee who closes has quite a bit of work to do. Cleaning the popper, soda machines, all the bits and pieces, stocking, sweeping, and mopping. The list just goes on and on. Generally speaking, it would take me about an hour and a half in the beginning, but closer to 40 minutes or so as I developed my routine. There truly was an art to it. Anyway, when I was new, I would feel someone watching me. Especially when I was cleaning the dragon lady. There was apparently a strong masculine presence overseeing my work and my thoroughness. I had a fear that I would turn around and see a man at the sink, standing behind me in the mirror. That never happened, but the door to the upstairs would open by itself sometimes. The first time it happened, I flew upstairs and asked my manager if she had come down. When she said no, I started getting worked up into a panic. She told me about one of our ghosts, Mr. Less. She had hundreds of stories about him and even pretty much knew who he had been in life the very first manager the theater had ever had. He'd been mixed up into some shady things, but he loved his job. That's when I put two and two together and realized he was, in fact, making sure I was worthy of working there. I'd like to think of him as my second unofficial trainer. Apparently, he did approve of me because I was never intimidated by him or frightened after I knew about him. Then one night, I was going back downstairs from clocking out and out of the corner of my eyes, I saw a man, kind of portly and wearing a golf-style hat. I whipped my head around to look at the middle platform, and no one was there. When I turned back around to bolt down the rest of the steps, I heard a man say, Hello! When I approached my assistant manager, who was working the shift with me, he wasn't surprised by it. 
I should say again that I never once felt threatened by Mr. Less. Initially, there were several times I was uncomfortable enough to call my mom. She advised me one night just to tell him how I felt. What came out was something like this. Mr. Less, you're kind of making it difficult for me to work, and I know how much you like the job to be done well, and I'd like it if you could ease up a little bit. I know that you're here, and that's okay, but I don't want to be afraid anymore. After that conversation, the watching got less intense and the creeping up my spine stopped altogether. Each employee had many experiences at the theater, some creepy and some just playful. To name some of those just briefly, my manager had a really unique bond with Mr. Less and once played with her hair while she was sitting on a bench talking to a friend who also witnessed her hair moving. Notebooks would be misplaced and then found somewhere totally random. Doors would open and close by themselves. Sometimes you'd even see a man sitting in one of the theaters just watching the show. You'd blink and he wouldn't be there anymore. Lights would also turn on and off, things like that. Eventually, though, the activity got to be a little more unpredictable. That's when we invited a paranormal investigative team to come in. I don't think Mr. Less was responsible for the increased activity, but rather our second, less stable ghost, the lady I originally met, called her. I'll tell you about her and the events that occurred that inspired us to seek help maybe another time. My experiences with the theater weren't limited to one or two, but seemed to happen continuously for the entirety of my employment there. I think it's important that we hear of positive presences because of the sheer amount of truly horrific things that can happen to people. Not all ghosts are bad or evil, demons or poltergeists. And not all of them want to torment people. Some of them, like Mr. Less, just want to be validated and known. It breaks my heart to think of him at that theater by himself in an empty building. But maybe for him, the theater isn't ever closed down. I'd like to think that when he looks at the screens, a movie still plays for him. Wow, David, that was a really cool story. Thank you for sharing that with us. I think it's amazing that you had so many experiences over the years, even before you started working at the movie theater. Um, it seems like theaters, whether movie theaters or regular stage theaters or whatever, you always have ghosts there. I'm not sure if it's the kind of people that work in those places that they generate the energy that spirits need or if it's that spirits are drawn towards theaters or if it's the kind of folks that maybe something happens to them in those theaters. But it always seems, it's almost like a cliche that if you have a movie theater or you have a stage theater that you are going to be required to have a ghost. I know my uh, wife was a movie theater manager here in Ohio and Sure enough, they had ghosts in the place, and I actually witnessed a couple of them. It was really kind of neat and scary at the same time. Everybody there had dozens of stories, and there was even an area up by the projectors where um, you never saw anybody go there by themselves. I remember witnessing a kind of a dark shadow in a corner there. And, you know, the thing is, is that you go into this area, and it's, fairly well lit because you've got the projectors going. I mean, it's not like you've got the lights on, but you've got the lights from the projectors going and it would be just oppressive. You just would not want to stand there by yourself. So a lot of times when folks went up there, they would bring somebody else up there with them. So 
I can kind of relate to your stories there. Um, and I like the fact that you had a little more positive spin on your experiences than a lot of people have. So I agree with you that a lot of times what we hear is the the horrible experiences, the, oh, I was so scared or I was so intimidated type of experiences. Um, and it's, you know, there are times where ghosts can be comforting. There are times where a presence as long as you know what it is and you know what's going on with it, it can almost be reassuring. And that sounds like what you had in your experience. So very cool story. And thank you for sharing that with us, David. That was awesome. Our last story of the evening comes from Thomas and he is entitled it Desert Demon. Okay, Thomas, let's see what you sent us. A few years back, a friend of mine and I decided to take a motorcycle trip into the Anza Borrego Desert in Southern California. After riding the better part of a day, we decided to camp out in the desert that night. We set up camp by a wash and I prepared some tea. As we were drinking our tea and looking at the starry sky, we began to hear voices. My friend Scotty kept saying, do you hear that? And I did. Sometimes it sounded like someone was mumbling something, and other times it sounded like laughter. The only thing is, the mumbling sounded unintelligible, and the laughter sounded like something you would hear in an insane asylum. Scotty, who, before now, had never spent a night outside of the city, was becoming completely unnerved by these sounds. I tried to calm him by explaining that the desert air does tricky things to sight and sound, such as maybe making objects appear closer than they really are in carrying sound a little further than you would think, as well as distorting it. I told him it was probably some off-roaders partying a ways from here. I don't know who I was trying to convince more, him or me. This seemed to work for Scotty, until we both distinctly heard what sounded like whispering, right by where we had left the bikes. I took my Colt 45 Commander out of my pack, told Scotty to circle around to the left and I would go right. It was a dark, moonless night with no other ambient light sources. When we circled around, the only one there were ourselves. We just started laughing and decided it was maybe time to get some sleep. We got back to our campsite, got into our sleeping bags, and lay back and talked for a while. Scotty dozed off first, but I kept awake for a while. After peacefully sleeping for about a half an hour, Scotty started talking in his sleep which he had never done before, or at least in the three years I had known him. He mumbled words I couldn't make out and tossed around in his sleep for a good ten minutes and then calmed down. A little while later, my eyes began to close and I was just starting to doze off when the hair on my body started to stand up. Anyone knowing anything about woods lore knows this to mean there's a chance of being struck by lightning. I sat up getting ready to wake my friend and make a run for it, but came face to face with a disembodied head. It was red and like a balloon you could see through. It had thick and grossly distorted features and its tongue, which was several inches long, was lolling out of its mouth. It was looking at me as though I were a bug. I was so scared that I literally paralyzed and became incapable of speech. One part of my brain was telling me to go for my gun, while another part was saying a gun would be of little use. I finally mustered up enough courage to shout at it, the only thing I knew how to use. Be gone, I yelled, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
With this, the creature started spinning around as it grew smaller until it turned into a small red dot and shot off into the desert. I woke Scotty and told him we were leaving. We packed up and got on our bikes and traveled down the road a couple of miles before setting up another place to sleep. After explaining to Scotty what I saw, neither of us slept that night. At dawn, we mounted up and not too far down the road came upon a diner that sold gas and water to the ORV crowd. At breakfast, the waitress remarked that we looked like hell. I told her we had just spent the night sleeping out in the desert. She asked where at, and I told her, Ocotillo Wells. With this, she leaned in close and said, Did you see any spooks? I replied, What? She answered, Well, anyone who's camped out there always comes back with a ghost story. Even the Indians back in the old days knew that it was haunted. Scotty and I just sat there staring at each other as she walked off. We left without finishing our meal and haven't been back since. Wow, Thomas, that was an absolutely incredible, amazing story. Thank you for sending that to us. Uh, I don't even know where to begin trying to analyze what happened to you. Uh, I do know uh, from my experience in the desert, I was in the Marine Corps for several years, and I spent a lot of time out in um, out in the desert. First off, it's beautiful out there. One of my favorite places to be, and it is creepy, creepy, creepy at night. <laughs> uh, you are 100% correct when you say that the desert does weird things to, um, obviously, to things that you can see. You know, obviously, first thing we think about is mirages, but um, even when things are fairly close up, they always seem like they're closer than they actually are. Something could be almost a mile away, and it seems like it could be just a few hundred yards, which is, a lot of times, that's the danger of being out in the desert. A lot of people get lost because they think something's just right around the corner, and it's just not. And also, like you said, sound is weird in the desert, to to just say lightly. It is um, a place where sound carries way farther than you think it's going to, and it does get distorted, and... Not only that, but there is, because there's nothing else around you, because there's not the ambient noise that you would get in like a city or even in a small town, it's so quiet out there that you hear every little thing that could be out there. So, And that's, that's part of what I like about it, but that's also part of the thing that makes it kind of creepy because when you can't hear anything, your mind will try to fill up that space. So I'm not saying that's obviously what happened to you, but... That is something people have experienced. Uh, what you had happen is, I mean, it's, you you described it as a desert demon. That would be the only explanation I would have for it, especially after shouting at it what you did, which is kind of a reflex thing. If the reaction was that it went away, then yay, it went away. That's probably the best thing that you could say about that. And getting out of that area was probably the smartest thing that you did. Uh it would be neat to know exactly where the location was because uh, you could maybe go back with a mindset of, okay, I know that this is going to happen. This is more of a controlled environment and see what occurred there. So that'd be kind of cool. But at any rate, thank you for sharing that with us, Thomas. That was an awesome story, and I appreciate you sending it. Well, guys, that's going to do it for this week's episode of True Paranormal, the podcast. I would like to thank David and Kim and Thomas for sharing your stories with us. You guys are absolutely genuine, bona fide rock stars. 
If you would like to share your story with us, check us out on Facebook at True Paranormal The Podcast. Hit that like button and then hit that email button and send us a message. Send us your story and we'd be glad to share it on one of our future broadcasts. Alternately, if you are one of the 17 people who do not use Facebook, send us an email at trueparanormalpodcast at gmail.com. That's one word, trueparanormalpodcast at gmail.com. And again, we'll be glad to share your story on one of our future broadcasts. If you have any questions or any comments about one of the shows, just comment away and we'll be glad to answer those comments. Or if you want to message us from our Facebook page, you can do that too. We are going to be getting onto Apple iTunes, which is exciting, 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 exciting stuff. We're going to be doing that very shortly, so you guys will have another platform to listen to us on, and that will hopefully be a great experience for you guys, because you guys are the whole reason we do the show. We wouldn't, I say this all the time, but it's true, we wouldn't do the show if it wasn't for you guys. Your stories are what we share, and we want to kind of create a community, and we want to kind of inform people about what we know is out there and what we've all experienced so you guys rock and i appreciate each and every single one of you in the meantime join us next week for another great episode of true paranormal the podcast my name is leo rizzuti and i hope you guys have a great night and a happy 2018